Good morning, friends. Good morning. So I got an old saying I tell people often, and that's what old men do. We come up with old sayings, and we tell them over and over and over again, you know? My granddad used to tell me the same old stories, and I'd sit in the chair, and he'd be leaning forward and tell me like he'd never told me before, and I'm thinking, I've heard this story 46 times, granddad. So I was thinking this week of Ted Bundy. Now, if you hadn't, no, no, no. Was he the guy? Was he the guy that killed all the girls in Florida? Was he the one? There's so many bad guys. Was he the one? He was a tennis player, preppy, dressed well, attractive, kind of boy like the boy next door, the one you'd think you'd want your daughter to marry. Right? He, he looked like an angel, but in fact he was a devil. He was a murderer, a serial murderer, but he looked good. And I was thinking of others. Who else? Like, looks, what else looks really good but isn't? And immediately my mind went to Ponzi schemes. Because, like, people just don't give up their hard-earned money in their retirement for nothing, right? And so I went on the Internet and I looked up Ponzi schemes and saw the guys that, who did it. And you know what? Almost none of them look like bad guys. In fact, I found one. It's called the New Era Philanthropy. It was started by a Christian man who looked like Mr. Rogers, he didn't have a fancy this and that, just simple like a little Timex, a little simple this and that. He literally looked like Mr. Rogers. He looked like the man you could trust about everyone else, simple, plain. Christian had a pedigree, had fancy friends, but he was a humble man. And he built people out of, he personally got over $135 million, and he got it out of Christian universities and ministries, many that you know and support. Um, so... My conclusion is not everything that glitters is gold, and Satan rarely appears in, in a red suit with a pitchfork. Like the evil one that hates you, seeking whom he may devour, the one that goes to and fro, that's the accuser of the brethren and hates you, rarely wears a red suit with a pitchfork. If he did, it would be so easy. You go, ha ha, I see you for who you are, you're Satan. But he doesn't wear a red suit and a pitchfork. He often comes masquerading, 2 Corinthians says, as an angel of light. As an angel of light. And so he looks good. It looks good. But all that glitters is not gold. And so Jesus is trying to compare and contrast a true shepherd himself, the one good shepherd, with the one who is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Good shepherd versus a thief good shepherd versus a hired hand good shepherd versus a hireling and so I want you to go to John 10 if you have your Bible or if you have your Bible app on your phone let's go to John 10 get right in the scriptures this verse is personal to me and actually I didn't know um, until today that Archbishop Kwashi came to the Lord through this exact uh, verse John 10 10 I came to the Lord through John 10 10 a friend who was a surfer who I used to party with shared his faith with me. He gave me a book called Basic Christianity by John Stott. It's about a hundred and some pages, simple, no pictures, but it lays out clearly who is Jesus? Why did he come? What did he, who did he claim to be? What did he do? What does he want with me? How do you become a Christian? Counting the cost of being a Christian, reaching a decision. And so he gave me that book and he shared this scripture and I remember for the first time in my life, I don't know if you've had this experience, but have you ever picked up a book and you just found, found it dreadfully boring? 
Like think of something you might have read in 10th grade history or something. Uh, I remember once trying to read the Koran and it just seemed like foolishness to me. Like a bunch of gobbledygook. I tried to read the Book of Mormon and I tried really hard because I was trying to get into that church a long time ago before I knew it was a place that is, teaches a different gospel. And yet it looked good. It all looked good. But could I say as I read those books, they were just dead to me. They were as dead as the phone book. And I have to admit that the scriptures prior to age 20, to me, they were just like reading the phone book. And while the word of God says of itself, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, can divide the bone from the marrow, right? It is a light and a lamp. But I would have to be honest and say, before I knew the Lord, before the Holy Spirit started his work deep in me, these words were just like uh, random words on a page. But God, but God. And then one day I was given this verse from John uh, 10, 9, and 10, and all of a sudden there were no longer dead words on a page. They were words that had life and spoke to me, words that made a 20-year-old surfer boy cry his eyes out and walk away from some things that he thought were giving life, but in fact were robbing, stealing, killing, and destroying him. So let's look at the passage. Jesus in John 10 says this. It's a really strange statement. Hey, we've got a religious speaker today. What do you have to say, sir? I am the door. Um, what the heck does that mean, I am the door? Well, you know, kids, you know this. Every time you see the words, the, the two words, I am, I am, you think back to when Moses asked God, hey, when I go to your people, the Israelites, and they say, hey, who is sending us, uh, who's sending me, Moses, to you? Who, who do I tell them sent me? And he gives them a simple word. Tell them that I am is sending you. I am. And so every time you see I am, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I'm the gate, uh, keep going. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the, the bread of life, the vine, right, on and on and on. Every time you see I am, I am, I am, that is a whispering. It's not even so subtle. It's a whispering where he's claiming messiahship, where he's saying, I am God. Who are you, Jesus? I am. I am the one true God. And so Jesus here, when he says, I am the door, you can get hung up on the door, but don't miss the I am part. The I am part is where he's saying he's claiming to be God himself. He says later, the Father and I are one. I am the expressed. He's the expressed image of the Father. The Father and I are one. He said it so clearly that they stoned him. So he starts out, I am the door. I want to find the way to life. He goes, I'm it. I'm it. I am the door. If you want to find life. And look at this picture that he paints of life with him. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and go out and find pasture. He will go in, go out, and find pasture. Do you know why people don't want to become Christians? Well, you could say because of other Christians. And the part, partially that's true. But not all Christians have bad testimonies. Not all Christians have bad witnesses. Do you know why people don't want to become Christians? Because they like being their own God. They like being their own God. As miserable as it may become, and it almost always becomes miserable. People like being in charge. They like control. They like to be their own God. And so we, we see Jesus says, if you enter through me, not only will you be saved, but this amazing thing I never knew till I was 21 years old. It says, you will go in and you will go out 
and you'll find pasture. You'll go in, and you'll go out and find pasture. See, at about age 20, 21, what I came to find out is all the freedoms that I had. You know, you go to college, your mom's not there. Praise God, there are no rules. I mean, yes, there's state laws, but we kind of don't let the cops see what we're doing. There's no rules. My mom's not there. Just do whatever. Do what you want to do. Isn't that how you have fun? Some of you tried it. Do everything you want to do. That's what heaven is, man. It's like do what you want to do. And yet, at the end, many of us found it like the adulteress's lips. They drip sweet as honey on the front end. But in the end, they're bitter as wormwood. And so a lot of us could testify. It's like, yeah, we know what it is. Uh, to have our lives crumbling and, and, and to have the, the thief come and steal our lives and kill us and destroy relationships and destroy us. And Jesus is saying, look, I, in my kingdom, it's different. You're not tied on a leash. See, what happens in college or whenever you think you're going to do your own thing, you think you've got all this amazing freedom, but what you don't realize is Satan has you on a chain, like a dog on a chain, like a dog on a chain. You're like, look how free I am but you don't even realize that you're on a leash. And Jesus says of people that are in him, he says, you're going to come in, you're going to come out, and you're going to find pasture. There's freedom. See, we don't want to become Christians, most people don't, because they think there's no freedom. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. There is freedom in him. All the other freedoms we have actually are a lie. They're like, fool's gold you think you're putting your hands around freedom but you find in fact you got nothing but bondage so jesus says i'm the door uh my kids first you can be saved by me and you will go in and go out and find pasture today some of you need that pasture so bad you do not have freedom you're trying to hold to the freedoms that you have and you're finding that it is bondage jesus invites you out of that and says follow me i am the way i'm the door i'm the gate Come to me, you then will be able to come in and come out and find pasture. Then in verse 10, I love it. He starts talking about the thief, the thief. He says, the thief comes only to do three things. What is the enemy, the devil, right? You can call him by any word you want. The enemy, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, Satan, the evil one. What is his mission? It says it right here. It's three points. One, two, three. Perfect sermon. His mission is to steal your life, to kill you, and destroy you. And you know what? He has no problem doing it in creative ways. Again, Satan rarely comes in a red suit. And so what he'll do is he'll offer up something that looks good, maybe even looks wholesome and shiny and all family-ish, and he'll offer that to you, and you think you're putting your hands around something good, but in fact, you're being sucker-punched. And he says, come to me, come to me. Uh, Satan comes to do, to steal, kill, and destroy. The funny thing is, when my friend at age 20 shared the gospel with me, he shared this verse, he shared his testimony. He gave me John Stott's beautiful book, Basic Christianity, which friend, excuse the French, but it was basically like an idiot's guide to Christianity or Christianity for dummies or Christianity 101. That's what I needed. I didn't need a lofty tome. I needed the basic points. And what I found out is, you know what, when I read this verse, it was all of a sudden the words of God were on fire. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. 
Have you ever experienced scripture like you don't even know what's happening, but all of a sudden it's on fire and it's speaking to you, he's speaking to you, and I, I didn't need anybody to yell at me or tell me I was a sinner. I knew it. I knew it so clearly. And the scriptures here were telling me why, what was going on. He says, Satan is coming to you quick and he is stealing life away from you and he's trying to kill you and he's trying to destroy you. And while I had a good Hollywood set, it always looks good. I'm fine, Instagram. But behind it, it was just a Hollywood set. There was no, I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I didn't know him. What I had was bondage. I did not have freedom. So when I read this, tears, I mean, it's hard to believe. Y'all, 20-year-old guy surfs and you think he's all macho and this and that, and then he just starts crying like a baby as he starts reading truth that this thief was stealing, killing, and destroying my life. But that wasn't the end of the story, but Jesus had good news for me. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. There are a lot of so-called shepherds out there. So many are actually hirelings. They're fakes but we'll get to that later. He says, Jesus says, I am, again, the I am. I'm a good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. Aren't you tired of following following people or things or ideologies that aren't in fact good, that look good but aren't, that look like they're gonna give you life but don't? And so Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd particularly does one thing that hirelings don't do. What does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life. And, of course, you know that you can picture in your mind, you're in Israel, you're out in a pasture somewhere, and you have sheep. And the sheep are great. And apparently wolves like to eat sheep because they're tasty like um, chicken fingers. Like those little things you get at, um, what's that Christian restaurant everybody goes to? That nice Christian restaurant where you just feel like a better Christian when you eat there? Chick-fil-A, right. What are the, the little things they serve, what are those called? Nuggets, right. Sheep are like nuggets. And so what would happen is, if you can imagine, imagine we're out in a pasture in Israel and there's like a wall. And it could be made by stones or it could be made by mud or whatever. They make some kind of wall here and it goes all the way from here all the way to the back. And then there's a little opening right here and then there's the other walls go here and all the sheep come in. Meh, meh, meh. You could even have sheep from different shepherds. They come in. They come to this safe place so where does the shepherd stay at night? If he loves them because they are his sheep, because he owns them and because he loves them, he lays his body right across here. I would do it, but my hip is old and I don't want to struggle getting up. But you get the idea. He, he literally would be the gate. He literally would be the door. And so if a bad guy tries to come in or a wolf to, to harass the sheep or to kill them, he has to go through the shepherd first. And so Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, that would be a great story if he's doing that uh, for all the animal lovers. We all love animals. Uh, But he's pointing to something much bigger than sheep and animals. He's talking about us. He's basically saying, I am Messiah. I'm the door. I'm the gate. And he goes, I am laying down my life for you. Not once in a pasture at night to keep uh, animals away. I'm going to lay down my life the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You can't get to God. See, that's the thing. You can't get to God. And yet the Lord comes running after us because he loves us. He's a good shepherd, and he doesn't just love us. He shows us his love. He demonstrates his love in this. Talk is
Talk is cheap. It's actions over time. Jesus proved the extent of his love. He proved that he was a good shepherd. How did he prove it? By giving up his life. For people, for the most part, who could care less, who basically do this to him their whole lives. Jesus is a good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. And I would say, let's make it personal, he laid down his life for you. Who are you that he would give his life? 33 years, done. Tortured, beaten, read Isaiah 53. He did it, why? Because he loves you. And so this whole idea, well, maybe I'm not ready for God. You're ready for God. Stop playing around. You know, I'm gonna wait till I'm 80. Why? Do you, want, do you want Satan to have more time to steal, kill, and destroy and ruin you? Jesus says, come to me, all you that travail and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And so the good shepherd lays down his life, and he says, on, on, on the contrary, verse 12, he who is a hired hand, works for temp agency, right? He's a hired hand and not a shepherd, says he does not own the sheep. And I don't know about you, but there's something we call an owner's mentality. If you own a business, you know what that is, right? You, you care about your business because you've put your sweat and your blood and your sweat equity into it. And occasionally you'll get an employee that works for you that has that same mindset. I mean, have you experienced that? Like they have an owner's mentality? And some don't. Some are just there for the paycheck. And so while you don't want them to work for you and your company, uh, Jesus is trying to say, you sure don't want them to be your shepherd. There's the one true shepherd, the one good shepherd, but there's also false shepherds, right? Our world is filled with false shepherds, false messiahs. People say, come here, follow me. But number one, they don't own you. They're not your God. They didn't make you. They're liars, okay? They're liars. Number two, they care nothing about you. And it says here, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he does what? Because he doesn't care about them. He's there for the paycheck. When, when danger comes, what does he do? He runs away. Because for him, it's just a gig. It's just a gig. It's a gig, you know, I put in this effort, I get my paycheck. But I don't own the sheep, I don't love them, I don't care for him. I care about my paycheck. And so Jesus is painting the difference between himself as the one good shepherd and the hired hand who doesn't care anything at all. He lays down his life, but the hired hand flees when the wolf comes. And the wolf scatters. He snatches the sheep and he tries to steal, kill, and destroy. In verse 13, it says this. It says, he flees because he's the hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus in verse 14 says this, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own. And my own know me. You know, a lot of people think they know God. Everybody thinks they know God, right? I know God. But Jesus says, he said to some, he says, depart from me, I never knew you, right? So now, here's a little tricky part. God is omniscient. Omniscient, that means omniscient. Omni means all, omniscient means what? Knowledge, all knowledge, all knowledge, all knowledge. So he knows everything. He knows the name of everybody. He knows that you exist, right? He actually is your creator. So it's not that he doesn't know you, but he doesn't know you. Like there's an intimacy to that word, know, that speaks of relationship. Not just like I can spot Waldo in a crowd, 
No. When he says, my, these, sheep, uh, these people don't know him, what he's saying is, he says, I, I don't know them. I've never known them. They're not mine. But for others, he says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. That's mind-blowing. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I called you. We see it in Exodus 33. We see it in Jeremiah 1, um, that the Lord knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. It goes on. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, he goes, I lay down my life for the sheep. Friends, that's where it keeps coming back to. Whatever your issues with God are, whatever you think God has not done right, let me tell you what he has done right. He has demonstrated the full extent of his love, not with words, but with deeds. He has shown you in tangible ways that his love is not just talk. He has poured out his blood for you, when most of the time you could care less, he's just a little parsley on the plate of your life. He said, he said, I laid down my life for you. I laid down my life for the sheep. And he says, and, and then this is the killer verse. In fact, in the early service, the reader started weeping uncontrollably. And what do Anglicans do and nice church people do when somebody starts crying in church? Pentecostal like, praise God. What a, what a nice like main line people do when somebody starts crying in church. Hey, can the ushers, like, get her out of here? Some, some, you know, we're uncomfortable with emotions, you know, emotions. Thank God somebody is moved by the word of God. This young woman, when she read this verse, it says, Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Jesus says, I have other sheep, sheep, not goats. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so the question is this. Like, this passage is awesome. God wants to be your shepherd. He wants to free you from these hired hands or these hirelings who care nothing about you. He wants to be your God and have that intimate knowledge, real knowledge. Just not knowing, oh, yeah, that's that person, but know, know you. He wants to know you. He's laid down his life so you could know him and he could know you. But he also has a mission. And that's where the church needs to wake up. We have a mission. We don't want to be like the Maytag repairman. Sometimes I think if I look at churches, even myself, I feel like we got the uniform, we got training, but we never do anything. Like the Maytag repairman, we sit there and talk about how we're on mission for God and we talk about it, and we talk about it, and we bring a nice man from Africa who's on mission for God. Tell us your stories. And we sit here and listen and listen and listen. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. You know why that hit me? The same reason it hit Ben. When, Je when Jesus is talking to his apostles, he's talking to Jews who have put on the Lord Jesus, who've come into faith, who've discovered life. But when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, at that point, back then in Jesus' life, he was talking about Gentiles, i.e., he was talking about y'all. I think we have two people in our church that were raised Jewish and came to find Christ as their Messiah. Maybe a third, but at least two. But for all the rest of us, we're Gentiles. We are not natural branches. We are not God's people. And yet in his mercy, his plan always was would be both Jew and Gentile. And so if the Lord had not had this amazing love where he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. See, from the beginning, the Lord knows all that will bend their knee. 
In fact, he has set his affection on them. He's predestined them in love to become children of God. But how will they know unless somebody goes, unless somebody speaks, unless somebody opens their mouth? And what I want to tell you is I, when I say that, even to myself, I start feeling pressure, pressure. The Lord, I mean, like, these guys, like, they know me, but they're so smart. I, I just know they're going to tie me in a knot, and I won't be able to, I won't be able to convince them, Lord, and I'm going to fail you, so I just won't try. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The guy that shared Christ with me had known Jesus for three months. I mean, yeah, sure, he had a high IQ, but in terms of his knowledge of the scriptures or of Jesus, he knew that much. But what he did know is that God is good and that God had laid down his life for him and that everyone deserves to hear the message and that Jesus has other sheep that belong to him that have not yet heard the message and he's waiting for us to open our mouths and just tell the truth. What if witnessing didn't look like us out arguing somebody or being smarter than them? What if it wasn't that at all? What if it was just like being the blind guy and they're like, hey, what happened to you? And he's like, I don't know. All I know is I was born blind, I've been blind, but now I can see. And it was that man, Jesus. What if, what if sharing our faith just looked like that? Just telling the truth, being relaxed, have a heart rate of 60, not of 600, relax, and just let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Tell what the Lord has done. You don't have to make anything up. You don't have to work a fervor. You don't have to outsmart them. Just naturally, normally, in the, in the was it, wolf and weave of life and in the, in the fabric of our life, just share the, the reason for the hope that you have. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them into the fold. My question for myself is, am I willing to be loving enough to be like my friend who barely, just barely had gotten to know Jesus but stepped over his fear to tell me the good news of what God had done in his life. Friends, there's no greater joy, no greater joy than to be used by the great shepherd who laid down his life for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.